glad that you are here with us. Are you guys glad to be here this morning in God's house? I was just making sure, all right, because I'm up here and I'm like, yeah, I'm excited to be here. And you guys are like. So I want to tell you uh, a story to kind of start us off. And for those of you who are uh, great note takers, um, you are the gold star students in here this morning. Um, We are going to be in the book of Exodus, Old Testament, Exodus chapter 14. And I'm not going to tell you what verse because I don't want you to start reading before we get there. Uh, But I want to start out with a story this morning that's going to help us kind of lead into this topic. So we we have looked at um, how do we deal with despair. We've looked at how um, we we work through and overcome our anxieties. We talked about that last week. Today I want us to look at how we move from fear to faith. How we move from fear to faith. So uh, we... Uh, we were on staff at, at, a, at a church prior to here, just outside of Tampa, Florida, and um, our kids have grown up uh, in the church and are still growing up in, uh, in the church. It's important for children to be uh, here in the church and hearing about God and, and seeing their parents worship uh, God and pray with other believers. And so our children were in Sunday school, and um, she's not in here, so I'm going to tell this story. Uh, my wife and I's daughter, uh, her name is Esther. Uh, she is 10 years old, but uh, probably she was about four and a half, may- maybe five years old at the time. And uh, we had gone to church one day, and she was in her class. And they learned about um, not being afraid. And they learned about how God is always with them. As a believer, that God is always with you. And so um, my wife and I were working um, opposites at the time, and my wife had to go to work, and, and she had just started going back to work, and Naomi, our third uh, child, was just a baby, and so she needed all the attention in the world. She still does at the age of four. Um, she was the little one that came up here on stage with us a couple weeks back. Yeah, so we were, um, we were there. My wife had gone off to work, and it was bedtime. Um, Israel uh, had gone in and gone to sleep, and Esther was not sleeping. I had been at work all day. I was exhausted. I just did not even want to deal with it. And I was hungry. I had not, I'm parents, you know, like I have not even eaten. It's now like 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night. Like, yeah. So um, listen, and when you get hangry, there's just something else that comes out. And so I remember sitting there and Naomi is screaming her head off because she's hungry and she wants to go to bed. And so I'm like trying to feed her this bottle and she's finally starting to settle down And my sanity was starting to come back to me in that moment. And then around the corner peeks Esther again. And so I was like, whatever, just come here. What's going on? And so we start talking. And and so I was like, well, you know what? If you're awake, go to the pantry and get me the bag of chips. Because I'm hungry and I need to eat something. And so she walks from our couch about 10 feet And she stops in our dining room, and our kitchen was just kind of enclosed with just this little door that you could walk into, and the light was off. And she could not reach the light. And so she stops right there, and she just doesn't move any further because it's pitch black in our kitchen. She turns back around, and she starts walking back toward me, and she's like, Dad, I'm scared. And I said, scared of what? And she said, because it's dark. And I said, it's okay, I'm right here. Just grab the bag of chips. And I'm starting to get frustrated. 
And so she walks back over and she stops again. And then she comes back and she's like, Dad, I can't, I'm scared. And I said, Esther, what if, what if we think back to what we learned in Sunday school? That God is always with us. And she goes, okay. I said, now go get the bag of chips. <laughs> and so she, she is like, and, and she's little, very, very petite for her age, but she's a mighty kid. Like she just thinks she can do everything. She plays soccer with old kids. She'll fall down. She'll get, you know, a bloody knee. And she just gets up and she's like, yeah, let's keep going. She's like my, just our mighty warrior. And so she goes and she stops again. And I was like, at this point, I was done. I was like, I just want my chips, okay? I'm starving. But then she, she goes to walk forward and she stops. And she completely caught me, caught me off guard with what she did next. She goes, Jesus, if you're in there, grab the bag of chips. <laughs> Give me just a second here. This, this microphone is bothering the fire out of me. I have a shirt on, guys. But she... She wanted Jesus, like her, her perception of Jesus being with her was, well, if you're there, just grab the chips so I don't have to. <laughs> she would be mortified if she knew that I was telling that story. But the thing is, is that every single person in this room, online, in the balcony, downstairs, has had a fear or is afraid of something whether you admit it or not and i see the men in here like i'm not afraid whether you admit it or not you have fear of something now um I want us to start off in this passage of Scripture because I think it's necessary for us to understand what fear does to us before we can see how we move from fear to faith. We have to see what fear does to us. So the book of Exodus tells us that the Israelite people are leaving, uh, we're going to pick up here in just a moment, and they're leaving the bondage of Egypt for the freedom that God had planned for them. That's, what, that's what's going on here. Now, they have just seen God's hand at work in such a mighty way. They were able to witness the ten plagues that came upon Egypt. They were a part of the very first Passover. And if you don't know this, Passover is still celebrated today, still to this day, thousands of years later. They got to witness and be a part of the very first Passover. And so here they are, and we're being released by Pharaoh from over 400 years of bondage. And now you would think, as I, I, read, I read through this passage, I was like, you would think the Israelites would be filled with faith because of what they saw God do. But instead, they're crippled by fear. Crippled by fear. Now Moses is leading the people away from Egypt to get away from Pharaoh, and, and now Pharaoh's army and over 600 chariots are coming, and now they're brought to this place of the Red Sea. And if you know, geogra I'm, I'm a geography guy, I like to know where things are happening. When you get to the Red Sea, there's mountains on both sides of you. Mountains on both sides of you, the Red Sea in front of you, and now here come 600 chariots and Pharaoh behind you, right? So this is where we're going to pick up. 
in the story. So if you would read uh, with me here, and and we're going to start in verse number 10, and let's let the Israelites stand as an example to show us what fear uh, can do to us. So it says, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And it says, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And then Moses said, or they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what you said to us in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Verse 13, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we come before you right now, Lord. And as we have already read through your word, God, I pray that walls would be let down in this place as we talk on this topic of fear and how we overcome it. Lord, help us to not stiff arm you in this place. Illuminate your scripture to penetrate our hearts right now, even the hearts that may be hardened against you. God, help us to see the most amazing things from your word. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. The first thing I want us to see, and we're going to rapidly go through these at the beginning, but the first thing I want us to see in this passage is that fear makes us skeptical. Fear makes us skeptical. Anyone in here like that? Everything, every situation's just sketchy, right? Anybody? Because I, there was a while I looked at life that way. Everything's sketchy. And when we're afraid, when we have fear, we begin to doubt, We begin to doubt ourselves, we doubt God, we doubt other people, and we've come to this place of skepticism. That's what happens. That's what fear does. Do you know, uh, oddly enough, both secular and Christian studies working together um, here have, have looked at this very thing that show that cynics, at the root of that doubt, is a problem with fear. Both Christian and secular studies show that. That, that cynics, so people who doubt, at the root of that doubt is fear. We often ridicule or become skeptical of the things that we're afraid of. The second thing I want us to see here is that fear makes us selfish. Fear makes us selfish. Look at verse number 11 with me. They said to Moses, is it because uh, there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us? The Israelites, what have you done to us? What are they saying? They're like, it's about me. You've done something to me, Moses. When we're afraid, we accuse others, we blame people, and we run away from responsibility. That's what happens when we're afraid. We only think of the things that are impacting us. We don't think about other people in our fear. We don't think about God in our fear. We're focusing on me, how it's impacting and affecting me. 
The next thing I want us to see is that fear makes us stubborn. Fear makes us stubborn. Look at verse number 12. Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. What are the Israelites saying here? They're like, Moses, don't upset the status quo. We've always done it this way before. Why, why change now? We, we resist change when we're afraid. We resist change when we're afraid. And while I'm speaking about change, just a little plug here. Um, in two weeks, we're going to be talking about change and what God wants from us and for us. And I'm, I'm going to do a, a one-off message called um, A Time for New Wine. A Time for New Wine. And so in two weeks, you don't want to miss it because we're going to be charging uh, towards Passion Week, towards Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. And so just, just a little plug there. But we resist change when we're afraid. Fear keeps people from growing and it causes us to become stubborn. God is ready to set the Israelites free after 400 plus years of slavery and the Israelites are saying, leave us alone. The next thing I want us to see is that fear makes us short-sighted. Fear makes us short-sighted. It gives us tunnel vision. When the Israelites were confronted with the Red Sea, let's look at the rest of verse number 12. It says, For it would have been better for us to serve the, uh, the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They want to go back to Egypt. They wanted to return. They wanted to retreat. They had so little faith in God that, would, that he would come through for them and grant them freedom that they just wanted to result and, and, and come back to a place of bondage. And you want to know what the sad thing the reality of that is, is that many people today are living in the exact same way. The exact same way. They would rather live in bondage to their own fear and to their sin and to their selfishness than to be set free. And I don't know that they would prefer to live there, but they just don't know how to overcome that fear. And so they, they just revert back. I, I will just stay right here because I don't know what it means to live with freedom. And that's a scary place to be in. A very scary place. God wants to work in our lives, but it starts with us letting go of that fear. It starts with letting go. Do you know the most difficult part of fear is, is the letting go? Would you guys agree with that? The letting go of the fear and holding on to truth. Why? Because I said it earlier, fear is crippling. Fear is crippling. In this life, there's a point of no return, though, where our fear must face our God. It has to. And this right now is where the children of Israel find themselves when they come to the Red Sea. There's mountains on either side of them. There's an ocean in front of them. And Pharaoh and the Egyptians are in hot pursuit waiting to slaughter them. And they have this opportunity right now to believe in God and to have faith. But instead they respond to Moses in fear. 
they become skeptical and stubborn and short-sighted. And when all of this is happening, they're like, hey, Moses, we should have just stayed in Egypt. Why don't we just go back? Now, remember, they've just left 400 years of bondage, beaten, no food, enslaved, no rights, and they want that over freedom because they're afraid. But fear always does that to us, right? It causes us to retreat, to turn around, to go back. That's why we find ourselves staying in destructive situations. That's why we don't step forward. That's why we're held back when God's telling us to launch out because of fear. Let's look back at verse number 13, though. The turning point here in the passage, and Moses says to the people, fear not, stand firm. But this is, this is the best part. He says, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The salvation of the Lord. So I want us to see that overcoming fear starts with salvation. Overcoming fear starts with salvation. He says, don't be afraid. Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. Moses is telling the Israelites that fear can be avoided through God. That's what he's saying to them. And he's saying, in salvation, we come to know the one who brings peace. I want you to look at this verse that's going to come to the screen for you, and it's John 14, 27. And Jesus is talking here, and he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do not, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. Whose peace do we receive? Jesus' peace. God gives us that peace through the Holy Spirit. You know that in John chapter 14 we are told that the Holy Spirit will remind us of all things that Jesus said. And what did Jesus say in this verse? I give peace. I give peace. You want to know what's even crazier than that? Before this was even spoken, before Jesus even was born, a thousand years before he was born, David, just like we learned last week in those few verses in Psalm 56, they're going to hit the screen again. What does he say? He says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I have put my trust and I will not fear. David was already saying it before Jesus himself even said it. He knows that God is going to be faithful to him. David is admitting his need for help in these verses, and he's saying, I'm going to lay aside myself, and I'm going to place my trust in God. And what happens when you do that? Fear subsides. It goes away. What does verse 13 say? Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. I know he's saying, which will work for you today for the Egyptians whom you see? Today you shall never see again. 
Now, I know in this verse, Moses is speaking to the Israelite people about their fear of the Egyptians, but that statement right there is true of salvation today. You do not have to clean up today. You do not have to lay aside everything today. God can save you right here in this building. We do not have to wait. We do not have to see what's going to happen. We just need to know that we have a need for salvation. That's what we need to know. But what does God's word truly say about our need for salvation? You know how last week I told you that as a believer, one of the hardest books for me to read through is the book of Romans because Paul talks about so much about life change. But he also gives us a very clear picture of what our life looks like apart from Christ. Apart, separated. For those of you in here, I would encourage you to go back and read through the entirety of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I don't, you don't have to do it in a year. You don't have to do it in 18 months, but go and read through the entire Bible from cover to cover and see, see salvation from the beginning, see grace from the beginning, see mercy from the beginning. But in Romans, we get this amazing picture and it didn't start out this way. God created Adam and Eve in the garden in a place of perfection. He did not create them to sin against him, to then fracture that. That was, that was not a part of creation. Yes, God knew that that was going to happen, but God did not create sin in Adam and Eve. You guys nod your head, yes. That is biblical theology of sin, okay? God did not create sin. Yes, yeah, say yes. And if you say, I don't know, come and talk to me after. God did not create sin, okay? Thank you. But because of sin, because of sin, there was a separation between Adam and Eve and God. And from that point forward, there was a separation between every man, woman, and child that would be born because God cannot be in the presence of sin because he is holy. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned. That means all. What did I tell you last week? What's that word? All in Greek and Hebrew? All. It means everything. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means my, myself, as your pastor, I am a sinner. Just like you guys are. Just like the little blessings are downstairs. Everybody is a sinner. Everybody falls short. Uh, and speaking of the little blessings downstairs, we need help in our children's ministry. We, we need some volunteers in our children's ministry who are willing to serve on a rotational basis to teach those little blessings about God. Now, please, if you do not love kids and you would duct tape them to the wall, we do not want you. I would appreciate your heart for serving, but we do not want you in the children's ministry. Okay? All have sinned. We've all done things that are displeasing to God and there is no one who is innocent. Romans 6.23 then tells us, for the wages of sin, because of that sin, you and I deserve death. And not just physical death, because everybody's going to physically die. It is a spiritual death, a separation from God. But you know what's amazing about Romans 6.23? 
that it did not stop with the wages of sin is death. God, in his grace and mercy, put the little comma in there that says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. There was a need for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ so that we could come back into a peaceable relationship with God. Bear with me here because another one of my favorite verses in the book of Romans is Romans 5.8. It says, but God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we, all of us, were sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for you. Christ died for you. And that death on the cross was this. Jesus came through the Virgin Mary and lived a sinless life. And at the end of his life, he was placed on a cross after he was brutally beaten to take the weight of all sin, past, present, and future upon himself so that we could have a peaceable relationship with God. Because of choice, because of love, because of grace, because of, of mercy. Do you know Ephesians 2 tells us that God is rich in mercy meaning it's it's boundless there are no boundaries to his mercy and and because he died on the cross for your sins and my sins and he was buried in a tomb and three days later by the power of god he rose from the dead and now he sits at the right hand of the father because of the death the burial and the resurrection, we now can have new life. New life comes because of the death, burial, and resurrection. It wasn't just the death of Jesus that gave us new life. The resurrection had to occur because Jesus had to overcome so that we could have new life. And so what do we do with this? What happens now? Well, I'm going to tell you. Romans 10, 9 says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Wait, wait, so pastor, you're telling me that if I believe that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved, I have to believe that Jesus came and lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross for my sins, that he was buried and resurrected three days later. If I believe those things in my heart and I confess them with my mouth, I'll be saved. I'll be able to spend eternity with, with Christ in heaven in perfection in a place where there's no more tears and no more sorrow and no more pain like Revelation talks about. Why would you not want that? Why? That's the greatest gift. And then a couple of verses later in that same chapter, he says those who call on the name of the Lord, there's an action that has to happen. There's a response. There's a movement towards God that occurs. And that's how salvation comes to us. 
And then when we receive that salvation, that gift, the forgiveness of all sin, guess what happens? Even something more phenomenal in our life is that we're given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Salvation. The forgiveness of sins is available to anyone who trusts Christ. And then like I said, Romans 5.1 tells us that because of that salvation, we've been justified through Christ so that we can live peaceably with God. Peaceably. And like I shared last week, one of my other, sorry guys, one of my other favorite verses in the book of Romans, Romans 8.1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If I've been made a child of God, like we were singing, I am not condemned for who I used to be. I do not have to live there. I do not, this, I'm going to chase this rabbit trail for just a minute. If you have been set free by freedom in Christ, if you have received the free gift of salvation, you do not have to live as though you used to live. You are not that person anymore. I don't know who needs to hear this, but you are not the same person that you were before God saved you. You do not have to live condemned. You do not have to live like you've been cast down. You do not have to live with pain and suffering and sorrow anymore because you have been made new in Christ. So walk away from the old life. That's what repentance means, to turn away from, but it's not just the turning away from, it's turning towards someone and that someone is Christ. We need to start living as though we have been redeemed. Do not walk around and wallow in your old self because that is not who you are anymore if you have been found and made new in Christ. Walk forward. There's movement, and we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. Movement in Christ. Because of Jesus dying on our behalf, we will no longer be condemned for our sins. And so for you and I, the first step in overcoming freedom from fear is salvation. Salvation. Well, that's great, Pastor. What if I'm already saved? What then? Well, I'm going to give you a big churchy word. Overcoming fear leads to sanctification leads to sanctification. Overcoming fear leads to sanctification. What does that word sanctification mean? It's talked about in the Bible. It's talked about in Christian circles. But very little actually know what the word sanctification means truly means. The word sanctification in its root means to be set apart for holy use. To be set apart for holy use. When we talk of sanctification, we're talking about a purification process that's used in the life of a believer to make us more like Christ. It's God's will that we walk as believers in the footsteps of Christ, being set apart 
from the world and growing in him more and more. That doesn't mean that we don't have friends that are non-believers. That doesn't mean that we don't go into a restaurant because the, the people who work there are not. No, we are set apart for holy use to bring that holiness to the people around us so they can see Christ. That's what that means. That separation like we talked about last week, right? God, God called us as believers to bring his word forward to all people. And that's what he's talking about. That's the holy separation. But listen to this. I think Paul sums it up greatly in 1 Thessalonians 4. And he says this, Finally then, brothers, we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you would do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, Paul is talking to the church here at Thessalonica on their sexual immorality, but that very thought of sanctification is for the life of every single believer that is in church and not in church. If you are a believer, you are to be sanctified. If you are a believer, you are to be sanctified. Thank you. Just wanted to make sure that you guys are following along here and like, I know I'm supposed to be... But Paul is saying that we are to abound more and more in the character of Christ. Do you know that God created the sanctification process to be cooperative between himself and us? It's cooperative. And in order for the process of sanctification to begin, our attitude towards truth must change must change and the starting place of that change is salvation and then obedience that's the hard part right no one had to teach us to be disobedient but obedience to what we're reading to what we're hearing and to what we're understanding from god's word do you know that every failure in our Christian living comes when we do not cooperate with God by the power of the Spirit in us. I'm going to say that again. Every failure in our Christian living comes when we do not cooperate with God by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Every failure. And you want to know what's really difficult for those of you who have gotten to know me and those of you who do not know me very well, I'm a meticulous and a methodical individual. I like structure. Um, I like to make plans. And I want to execute those plans as quickly and efficiently as possible. And when they don't happen, my feathers are all ruffled. And I get a little squeamish. You want to know one of the hardest lessons I've had to learn in my young 32 years of life and I'm still learning it? There are no shortcuts to life change. None. And that's frustrating. 
I'm just being honest. That's frustrating. Anybody else? Like there are no shortcuts to life change. But you want to know what the hardest thing about this is? And I'm going to chase this rabbit trail for just a minute too. We live in a culture that is self-serving and we want it now. We live with the fast food microwave mentality. We want it because we said we want it. And there are no shortcuts to this change of life that God has instilled in us. We want God to just ship us life change because we got on godsword.com and we ordered it like Amazon. And then we protest after three days of reading our Bible and nothing has happened. When we have not allowed the most amazing truths of God to penetrate our heart, to saturate our thinking, and then to radically change us. And that's a process. Do you know that you will never ever stop being sanctified on this earth? You won't. God just makes you more and more like him, like Paul was talking about, abounding more and more in God's character. That's that's the sanctification process. And guess what? It don't stop until you die. Until God takes you to perfection. It does not stop. Verse number 15. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. God is asking Moses why the people are just praying about it. Why are you just praying about it? God is saying, Move forward. Move. He's saying, don't just pray about it. Don't just think about it. Move after that prayer. Move. If you do not get anything else in this place, go home with this very thought. The key to overcoming the fears that keep us bound up is movement. The key to overcoming the fears that keep you bound up is movement. It's a moving towards God. It's a moving towards truth. It's a moving towards scripture memorization to help us combat lies and fear and anxiety and depression and despair. You notice the Israelites are here at the Red Sea. God does not pave a path through the mountain to go around. He does not build a bridge to go over. He takes them through the thing that they're afraid of. They could have stood on the sidelines the entire time saying, we believe God's going to save us, but it wasn't until that they were obedient that God began to bless. Well, look at this. Go with me now to verse number 22. It's amazing what happens here. So it says, And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters being a wall to them on their right and their left. It says, The Egyptians pursued, and they went in after them into the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen. And in the morning, watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. 
And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before the Israels, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And then it says, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, and that water may come back upon the Egyptians and upon their chariots and upon the horsemen. And when Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The water returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all of the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. They were gone. And then it says, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore and Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in the servant Moses. Do you know that there is freedom from fear when we're obedient to God? There's freedom from fear when we're obedient to God, and there's courage in fear when we're obedient to God. Someone once told me that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is moving forward in spite of of that fear. Several months ago, my wife and I began to feel a stirring by God um, to leave our current ministry, the ministry that we had been at for years and years and years and years and years and watched grow. We were a part of so many things. We watched people get saved. We watched baptisms happen. We watched people get set free and healed. There's so many things and stories that we could share, but God was stirring in us because we felt like we had come to this place of complacency and comfortability. And for 10 years, we prayed that God would allow us to come back to Michigan. Don't sit there and think, you guys were in Florida, sunshine, beaches. Beaches are dirty, and sand is gross. <laughs> and we prayed for years and years and years, and God would never open up the door for us to come back here. He shut it time after time after time after time. And I got to this place where I just stopped asking God to let me come back home. And some things happened in our current ministry that we were in. And God began to open up a door. And I didn't want to walk through it at first because I felt like it was way too good to be true. It cannot be true, God, that you're going to let us go back home. And so we began to pursue. Because God wouldn't leave us alone about it. Like he does, right? You ever get that constant knocking and you know you were supposed to do something and then you don't do it and then it's still there? Yeah, anybody? We were to uproot our entire family and move 1,275 miles away from where we were living, where our kids knew, where my wife's family was, where all of our friends were. And so we began to pursue. And a job offer was given to a position that I wanted at a different church, not here. 
And two days prior to us moving here, God slammed the door in our face. And I was distraught. And I said, God, what are you doing? You called us to go back home and I don't even have a job. How am I going to support my wife and my kids? How? And for men in here, I understand, like, anyone else, like, a struggle, like, how am I going to support my kids financially? Right? You ever been in that boat? Along with, it's all right, it's all right. I won't, I won't win a battle with kids, I promise. <laughs> Along with the position game a home for my family. And when the door was closed, not only did I not have money to support my family, I didn't have a house to live in. And I remember going home. I call, first, I called my wife, and I just, I, I just lost it on the phone. And I said, "Hun, I, I feel like we've done everything right. We've sought people. Our mentors are telling us that you need to go, that God's opening the door. Like, we're supporting you. We're praying for you. Like, everything's good. And I remember calling her, and I said, I don't know what we're going to do. I love my mom and dad to death, but I was like, I can't stay there because it'll be chaotic. And we've got animals and they've got animals and there's six of us and they're getting older. And, uh, and I remember we came together and we began to pray and we were like, God, we don't know what you're doing, but please just show us. And I remembered that in that moment of time, it was like I had a peace about still going, and I had no idea what God was even going to do. No clue. And so we left. There was no staying. Our whole house was packed in boxes, which gave me anxiety already, <laughs> because I didn't know where anything was at. And we came. And I remember I found that out, and God had something much better for us as a family, something beyond my wildest dreams, but they were God dreams. And God opened up this opportunity because we continued to be faithful and we moved forward in that fear. I was afraid. I had no idea. I, I love my parents, but I did not want to live with them. And I remember having to sit down and tell our kids that I didn't get the position and that God was still taking us back to Michigan, and I didn't even know. And I remember our children, and it just it used to break my heart because my daughter Esther would come in, and she'd be like, did you get a job at a church, Daddy? And I was like, no, darling, I didn't, but God's doing something. I don't know what he's doing, but we're going to keep going. And God opened up this opportunity and allowed for us to step through it here in this church. And I can tell you that I've never been more excited about ministry in my life. In a moment where I thought God was going to take us in a completely different direction, God brought us back here even better because I got to be home. It wasn't, it wasn't going to be a little bit away. It's, I get to see my mom and dad. I get to see my siblings, and I get to minister right here in Ionia, where I now wholeheartedly believe God has called us back to this city right here for something good. Yes, 
But there had to come a time where my wife and I looked at each other and we said, I trust you, God, and I will move in my fear. I will move. I don't know what's next. I was actually talking with my, my wife last night about this, and for those of you who know anything about this, I was literally going to bust out in song uh, from Frozen 2. You know, I'm into the unknown, right? <laughs> Sorry, I haven't memorized because I have daughters. I don't, watch, I don't watch that movie, for those of you who are looking at me. We had to move against that fear, and it brought about something much more sweet in our relationship with God. My wife and I stepped into a much deeper and more intentional level in our marriage and in our parenting and in ministry because God was blessing our faithfulness. God was allowing for us to go through what we did because he was stretching us and growing us. And, and I would encourage you to go home from here and don't turn your TV on. Don't get on your cell phone. Don't play a game. Don't watch sports. You can eat lunch. But, but when you get done with your lunch, I would encourage you to go home and I would encourage you to read chapter 15 of Exodus. The most amazing thing happens We've seen God save us. We now fear. We revere God because of his saving acts. And guess what happens? In chapter 15, they begin to worship God with a song. They begin to worship God with a song. Why? Because salvation and sanctification leads us to worshiping God. Why? Because we have taken our eyes off of our fear, and we've taken our eyes off of ourselves, and we've placed it on the holy God who is to be praised and worshipped. But they wrote a song to God. They worshipped, they revered. So in closing this morning, I have a question for you. What is your Red Sea? Who are your Egyptians? What is the thing that scares you to death? It frightens you. What is it that's got you so worried that seems like an, it's, it's an impossible barrier in your life? What is it that looks unpredictable, that seems overwhelming? Well, that's your Red Sea. Those are your Egyptians. God told the Israelites to stop praying and move. So what is it that you need to stop praying about this morning and start moving? What is that? What is it? Is it this? that One of these days I'm really going to get serious about God. I'm going to place him number one in my life and I'm going to move against the fear that I will become a fanatic instead of just a fan. 
What if it's that God has given me a gift, a talent, or ability, and I've been waiting to hone in on those skills and use it in ministry? And what if God is saying to you right now, you need to step forward in fear and begin to serve me with the talents that I have given you? What if it's like Jessica said this morning? What if it's like I've never started to tithe to the church? (gasps) The pastor's talking about money. What if you need to begin to tithe, even if it's just something little, and watch God move in your life? Move against the fear that I won't have the money. Move against the fear that I'm going to become something that God wants me to be, and I'm so scared because he's going to use me. Move against those fears this morning. Submit to God. Beg for strength. Walk in obedience and watch God bless. Let's pray. God, we come to you right now, Lord, and we just thank you for your saving grace. God, we we thank you that you are faithful. And when we are afraid, God, we can come to you. We can run to you and you will greet us with open arms. And so, God, I pray for the people in this room right now, the people online right now, Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in their hearts. I can see you working in people this morning. Help us, God, to move against our fears. And if we have all sorts of fears because we don't know you as Savior, God, I pray that they would seek you because they will find you. God, I just ask for your strength in this place as we move forward. As we go Help us as a church body to step forward and move against fear here in Ionia. God, I pray that you would help us to move against the fear that we will become a radical church. A church that makes an impact here in Ionia. Help us move against those fears. Help us move against the fear of giving to you and giving to your work. Help us move against the fear of speaking out godly truths to teach people what your word says. Help us move against those fears in this place. God, I beg for your strength for me and for this body as we go forth from here. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And amen. Before you guys take off, just a couple of quick things. Just a couple of quick things. We're going to be sending out some communication to you guys as a church this week via social media, via email. There are a lot of cool things that are coming on the horizon. And we want you guys to be informed in how you can play a part in what's coming here for the well in Ionia. And so please be watching for our communication to come out And we're going to hit a lot of stuff in the coming weeks. We're excited and jazzed up about Passion Week. We are, yeah, get excited about the resurrection, people. All right. Now, outside of that, I love you guys. Hope you guys have a blessed week. And I will see you back here Sunday. Please, please, please bring your friends and your family. My wife and I are giving our testimony. It's going to be powerful. You don't want to miss it. Be here All right? But, parents with children, there may be some things that are talked about that you have not discussed with your kids. So if you bring your kids in here, be prepared to have conversations with them. Don't send them to me. (laughs) Okay? So you guys should be the spiritual leaders of your children. So if you're going to bring them in, 
be prepared to have conversations, all right? Love you guys. Get out of here. You're sent.